welcome to the Art Guide Australia podcast with Tiani Mikus. In our conversation series, we delve a little deeper to hear directly from artists, and for this episode, I spoke with Caitlin Fransman. With a practice that melds sound, installation, architecture, and visual elements, Fransman and I speak about how her work deals with questions of connection, intimacy, and listening. Can we talk about the beginning of your art practice and how before you were an artist, you were an urban planner for eight years? How did that transition come about? So creativity, it was pretty constant in my um, childhood. But then I think when I got to my teenage years, I, like I really enjoyed doing art at school. And then you get to the age of 17 and you're kind of like, I don't think I really realized the external forces that were kind of influencing my choices. And it's, I think, when you're making those choices about your future, there's these, this guidance of like, well, it needs to be uh, something that you would have a secure profession and so forth. And so urban planning was one of these professions that came up that was um, one that was something that incorporated design and creative thinking. Uh, and so I went off and explored that. And I really did quite enjoy it. But I think after a certain period, I sort of found myself feeling quite restricted by this realm of policies and legislation. Um, And I think I wanted to just become a bit more playful and critical of those structures. And it was sort of quite a significant choice to uh, go back to university and study fine art. And then I didn't really look back after that. (laughs) So that idea of, I guess, unlearning these structures that in some sense you would have been designing and building yourself, does that play into how your work is quite site-specific and often deals with elements of architecture and navigating space? Yeah, it does. It does. I think it really influences the way that I work within my artistic practice. And I think it sort of comes from, I suppose there were a couple of key things, particularly at university while I was studying urban planning. Um, I was like these moments where, you know, the class would get sent out to be asked to go on a sort of treasure hunt and try to find uh, all these key features of rooftops in the city. And so we were sort of then asked to take a completely different perspective of how we might walk through that city on our everyday basis and it became quite I don't know it was this moment of like oh wow I'm actually seeing something completely anew and I became quite interested in um, environmental psychology and just this idea of how we navigate space um, and why we do certain things that we do and how how we can how architecture can actually um, manipulate that or uh, aid that in some way uh, and so I sort of, those those kind of key points I have brought through into my artistic practice, I think. Changing tack for a little bit, for the last couple of years, you've undertaken your tree-telling project at M Pavilion as part of Liquid Architecture. And it's where you organise these one-on-one meetings where a person selects one of your handcrafted divination cards, which features a certain tree on it. And from here, there's a kind of shared walk and listening experiment. Can you explain how the project and the associated sound recordings work? Tree-telling was actually an extension of an existing work or an earlier work called Magical Thinking. 
And that was also a set of divination cards. Um, so there's 24 cards. Each card had a hand collage design that I created on it. And what I would do in that work is I would take my table and my two stools into the gallery with the cards. And usually at exhibition openings, I would facilitate these card readings. Um, and so I would invite visitors to sit down. We'd go through a process of um, they would ask the cards a question and I would, uh, and then they would select a card from the deck. And then that card then become, became this sort of starting point for a conversation. And the key thing in that process is that I would first ask the participant to actually tell me what they see in the card and how it makes them feel. And that was really important because that kind of just opens up this self-reflection uh, within the participant. They begin to see what they want to see and they communicate certain things and the conversation can unfold in many different ways <laughs> depending on what that person brings to it. So that was magical thinking. And then after that, I was invited to do a work at M Pavilion by Liquid Architecture. And I extended this idea of divination cards, but tree telling is a bit different because rather than it just being solely about this uh, sort of moment of self-reflection and going inward, um, it kind of is more about considering the world that we're within, our environment, and that you know we exist within this bigger realm. So tree telling, tree telling involves seven cards. Each card relates to a single tree in the Queen Victoria Gardens surrounding the M Pavilion site. So the seven trees are Canary Island date palm, river red gum, lilypilly, the Algerian oak, Atlas cedar, London plane tree, and the jacaranda. And so all of these trees come from various locations in the world, and there's a couple that are native trees. And in a similar way to the magical thinking, I would meet the participants at the card table in M Pavilion, but the difference was we would then go for a walk to that tree, whatever they selected. We'd walk to the tree and we'd talk about what that tree might mean in relation to their questions. So it really weaves in a lot of facts about the tree, like ethno-botanical facts or biological facts or even mythological stories attached to the tree and again the conversation unfolds in various ways so also the work involves a 10 minute audio walk which is specific to that tree and so this would touch on some of the same topics that we discussed on our walk but what it offers was this chance for the participant to reflect on the conversation we've had and to spend some time alone with the tree and that was kind of an important element for me that sort of Moments of solitary meditation, I guess, in connection with the tree. From here, facing the pond, you can view a second jacaranda nestled in a garden bed of ivy. Alas, we have missed the hypnotizing blossoms and the seed pods are yet to be born. They begin closed and hard, but soften and open to the world in time to reveal flat seeds with fragile wings. When ready, the seeds diverge into the air like thousands of tiny angels dancing in the wind. 
Some say the seed is a single point of awareness and of pure potential. It is consciousness at a point of initiation. Perhaps you could imagine yourself as a seed in this pod, patient, potent and full of potential. Be silent, rest in darkness and suspended. Allow yourself to just know without the necessity to prove it, knowing that transition and growth will come. The recordings, they're pretty meditative and they're also quite informative. How did you decide, um, I guess, what content to put in them? That's interesting because it was a lengthy process. Like, I think for each tree, I would just research and research and find all these interesting connections and so forth. And then ultimately, ultimately I need to boil it down to some kind of um, what are the key messages that I'd like to convey uh, in this reading. And so there was a lot of information that wasn't included and I wanted it to be informative, but I didn't want it to be like a lecture. So it's sort of, I tried to create this weaving in and out of like a fact, but then what does that mean in relation to um, yourself and your situation? And something about the work as well, which, you know, I think continues in a, in a lot of your pieces, is that it's very based in connection and forming a relationship uh, with the viewer. But I know that there's an important tactile quality because you wanted people to also be able to touch with the trees and, you know, perhaps engage with them physically. What's your interest in that physical connection with an artwork? I think it's about creating a sense of intimacy and also an opportunity to really connect with some energy transference in a way. So walking to the tree and touching the bark or smelling the flowers, it kind of opens up that possibility for an immediate exchange of energy. I suppose that comes from my understanding that everything vibrates and um, so Perhaps being in the presence of trees, we might, it actually might help us to realign our own vibrations. In tree telling and other recent pieces uh, like Fortunes of the Forest, which you showed at Seventh Gallery last year, spirituality is a really key focus. What's the link for you between spirituality, these kind of ritual practices, and contemporary art? This is a really tricky question. And I think maybe what would be interesting to ask you what, you what what is spirituality to you? Uh, for me, it doesn't necessarily have any religious resonance, mm. but I do feel spirituality implies this uh, quiet and in-tune quality. A lot of me fears it's related to this idea of being, and if you've read someone like Heidegger and his idea of being, which is very broadly this really fundamentally intuitive and open way of engaging with the world. Mm. So that's what I think of, but, you know, that definition might not necessarily hold up for the next person that you yeah. ask. Yeah, and it's a really tricky thing because I think there are, I, I don't think any two people would have the same idea of what spirituality is to them. And so I guess like on some level for me, 
it's just that sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves. So I feel like it's so much more complex than that. And and to me also, it doesn't. I don't have. Um, it's not religion to me. But ritual hmm, is, um, I guess, in a way, the connection between spirituality and ritual is that it's for me this way of accessing the sense of connection to what is bigger than ourselves Um, because ritual can, whilst it can be carried out alone, it's often also carried out in a community. It's like a coming together of a group of people to share sort of time, space and energy. Um, But then contemporary art is that really tricky thing that comes into play (laughs) because it's like, well, I suppose in a way it's a little, I mean, can be seen as both spiritual and ritualistic um, in that it can be this really amazing tool for uh, consciousness raising in a way. Like it can generate this thinking or experiences that maybe break down binaries or possibly even boundaries and perhaps rituals, I don't know, they can also offer those moments of calm solitude or connection and community. So I guess there's a few links there between those three. I guess if you're talking about in uh, invoking what is greater than you in art, mm. uh, and then you know you're obviously working in contemporary art, is that something when you're starting a project? Is that actually on your mind, or are there more kind of pragmatic concerns? I think more and more. I've sort of, on reflection, I realised I've had, um, you know, as an artist, you're constantly learning all these new things. Uh, you're just kind of open to the world. And I think I have learnt or perhaps the way that I work is evolving to become more um, aware of what is around me, what's going on politically or socially um, within my local community or globally and wanting to address these things but sometimes not really being certain of how. And often I, you know, I've always go back to these kind of like you need moments of solitude to be able to contribute and, um, yeah, it can be quite complex in that sense. Often when artists work with sound, they come to the medium from particular theories or ideas or viewpoints as to how sound functions and how they use sound. How do you approach sound and how did it start to become a tangible part of your practice? Well, I think... Initially, sound, I sort of saw it as this medium uh, in my artworks that I could use that had this potential to evoke this kind of direct bodily sensation. Um, So it kind of harks back to what I was talking about, about this sort of immediate sense of intimacy or kind of energy transfer. So, yeah, I guess it offered a possibility to create these intimate experiences and to sort of step beyond what I kind of felt was this distancing sense or kind of a less nuanced sense of vision. And it asks visitors to pause and listen, and that was something I was quite interested in. But I think now it's kind of evolved a bit more to this, just the understanding that sound is vibration. And sometimes we can't hear the vibrations, but... I'm interested in the idea that there is still an effect 
Um, and so a lot of my work sometimes touches on things that might be very quiet or silent or invisible. Something I've noticed about a few sound works, and this isn't a criticism of your work at all, mm. but sometimes it feels like there's this dictum of you must listen. And it feels a bit like managed listening. Mm. And it's like if we just listen close enough, then all of these things will become apparent to us. And sometimes it does feel too forced or you listen really hard and nothing happens. Yep. Is that ever on your mind? Yes. Yeah, totally. I think um, beyond that as well, it's that uh, some people, like lots of people have different comfort levels in engaging with artworks. Um, so whilst I might be thinking, yes, I'm inviting people to touch the artwork, to wear this helmet that in, encloses the sound work um, and they can have their private experience, but not everybody wants to do that. So I do consider that and I also consider other people walking into the space and seeing people engaging with the work and what experience does that offer them. So I try to sort of sort of think both on the intimate scale but also on the scale of the observer um, and that they they both have value um, in terms of experience. Mm. So and, and also in the way that I create sound works, often they are these floating collages that don't necessarily require the listener to sit there and listen to the whole thing. Sometimes you can get a sense of it. Um, and I'm, I'm quite curious about the listener walking away having a completely different experience from another person that might have heard a very different component of the sound work. And I actually feel okay with that. I don't expect people to sit through the whole thing if they don't want to. Uh, let's talk about your involvement in the group show Material Sound at Murray Art Museum, Albury. I know you did an opening performance and you also have a work showing in the exhibition, the two of which are related. Can you talk through both of these? The work in Material Sounds is called Drawn, Drawn Together, Held Apart. Um, so essentially it's a table. It's a round glass top table, uh, kind of like a coffee table. And uh, it has a surface transducer speaker, which is positioned under the glass. And the speaker vibrates, so you can't hear the sound until it's pressed to a surface. Um, and then once it's pressed to the glass top, it then becomes this audible sound. So that's the sonic component, but it also has these other components of interactivity, um, these LED lighting strips on the arms underneath. And they, I worked with... Uh, Gold Coast-based artist Michael Candy, and he incorporated proximity sensors to the work. So as a person walks close to the work, the lights start to increase in luminosity, which is kind of that tactic of trying to draw the person closer to then hear this sound emitting from the table and then also wonder what that sound is and hopefully then press their ear to the glass and be able to hear that sound more clearly. And all it is, like everything else, is a choice. A choice between fear and love. That's all it is. What life is, is that indescribable feeling of moving from outside the vortex in 
and into momentary completion of that which you are, just before life causes you to expand yet a little bit further, and then the moving in, and the coming together with who you are, just before life causes you to expand just a little bit more. In other words, we never get it done, and we cannot get it wrong. And what the joy of life is, is mixing it up and defining and designing and then aligning and rejoicing and then mixing it up and defining and deciding and then lining up and then rejoicing. In other words, you came for the love of life, not because the planet is broken and needs to be fixed or because people are sick and somebody needs to heal them. You all came for the joyous creation of your personal and therefore our collective expansion. The sounds that they're hearing, it's sort of, I mean, it's, its I guess it's partly musical, but then there's also a lot of samples in it. Can you talk through, I guess, what you've sampled? So the sound work is a collage of sound sounds. So it's kind of got a mix of comedians, scientists, spiritual gurus, um, and even like ritual chanting. And the, But they all kind of touch on this idea of energetic exchange, magnetism, and this choice that we all have of whether we choose to live our life in fear or with love. And also there's music. So I worked with the musician Andrew McClellan and um, he tied all the work, all of these um, separate components together with this composition, which was kind of a cosmic sound. It seems as if the exhibition overall is kind of following the recent trends in sound-based works by exploring the material and social aspects of sound rather than focusing on sound in and of itself. Is that something that you see yourself working within? Yeah, definitely. The, possibly more, I mean, I can't avoid the material aspects because that it's just, it is present. And I think particularly within this exhibition, there is a real focus on the visibility of where the sound is being created in the work. But for me, also, this social aspects of sound is something that I'm particularly interested in. Um, and that's where all of these ideas of conversation, intimacy, even more recent works where I'm doing kind of workshops that are looking at deep listening in natural environments. On that idea of listening, it seems as if you're often fostering these two entwined senses of slowness and intimacy in your works. Why do you think these two sensibilities or values are so important when encountering art? For me, they're really drawn from my own experience. I suppose I would observe going to a major museum or a gallery and this uh, just observing people kind of walking through and not really stopping to sit with the work. I, I felt like a little bit sad about that, that it's not really giving the artist the respect that, or the acknowledgement that they have, there's something potentially more in this than what we might see on the surface level. So, yeah, I guess that's where it sort of first comes from. But then it's also in terms of this idea of it being related to living in this time of stimulation and speed, I guess that is where I try to find that balance in my own life as well, like, you know, mm -hmm. this sort of work-life balance. And um, and that becomes even muddier when it's hard to separate art and life. <laughs> <laughs> 
I know there have been works where you've explored gender and the female voice and particularly looking at what does and does not qualify as an authoritative voice. And as part of a liquid architecture workshop you ran in 2015, you once posed the question, what does it mean for a woman to own her power and claim her own voice? Do you have any closure or any thoughts on this question a few years later? That was a really complicated project. Um, I guess it's sort of similar to the last question in terms of where that question arose, like that sort of um, why I wanted to look into those questions. And it really arose from my own insecurities in performing and using my voice, particularly when it's to a large audience. Mm. Um, and I think I was trying to like understand why that was. <laughs> and to be honest, I don't know if I've really got closure on it, but I do think that I have found certain strategies to empower myself within that realm. And I think that's where like it's being able to identify where I feel comfortable and trying to work within that. So it's, creating works that are one-on-one and that are within contexts that are more comfortable for me, like, for example, strolling in the gardens or sitting in a circle in a forest. And I guess with that, I feel my confidence growing Mm. and possibly then I will have more confidence in voicing two large groups. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But in terms of like the greater questions, uh, it's, It's just, I I don't, I don't have uh, closure on that. And I don't think I ever will, but that's okay. I feel, I feel okay about that. (laughs) And that was artist Caitlin Franzman discussing her practice and most recent exhibition. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and remember to check in with Art Guide online or pick up a copy of the print edition to keep up to date with art related news, articles and previews from around Australia.